Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Tone Duff Sessions number nine. Our guest today is uh, Brenda Pearl, and Brenda, say hello. Hello. Uh, I don't even know exactly how to introduce you because I've been uh, looking you up on Amazon and all this stuff, and you do a bazillion things. I don't know what your actual handle is, but uh, you know, you're a writer, a photojournalist, an editor, and a publisher. Uh, it all kind of plays together, I assume. But how did it? How did this whole venture begin? And like, where did you get on the train as a writer or a, a photographer? What got you going? Okay, I'm going to give you the long and short. Um, as far as photographer, I wanted to be a photographer when I was in high school, and I did photojournalism, and I went to Cal Arts for photography, but I only wanted to shoot like random kids on the beach and stuff, and they said, well, what are you going to do as a career? You know, we're a fine arts school, and what do you plan to do? And I had really nowhere to go with it, so I dropped out. Um, as far as um, with the, the punk thing, um, I got into that a little bit later. I first started writing my story. I started writing my life story, believe it or not. I think I was 29 years old, and I was getting married, and I was planning on writing about how the wedding business was so screwed up. And what happened was um, I wrote about it, you know, about uh, the African priests that wanted to marry us with the drums and the rabbi that wouldn't marry us because we weren't Jewish enough and all that. What happened, I, so I spent a while writing, and I thought, okay, that's going to be a great story. And then I put it down because it wasn't going anywhere. And then um, uh, 15 years later, while I was getting a divorce, I thought, well, I wrote my story. I'm going to go back there because I was going through an ugly divorce. So I started writing my um a series. It became a series because I had a lot of stories to tell. So I wrote about um, the divorce and the ugly divorce and um, th there's a lot of layers to that. So that's how I got involved in writing. And um, I wrote, I ended up, three books were written from this story and then I put that down and then Mark Berry from the UK who was actually a really great writer um, he suggested go back to my punk roots and I said oh, I've left that a long time ago I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday let alone what I did 35 years ago right, right. you know but um, you know what when I started writing and I went back to that young girl that was um, you know 15 years old and wide-eyed and you know I, you know, into the music scene, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I started writing some stories and asking people, finding people on Facebook, hey, do you have a story to tell? And that's kind of how it started. And it became, you know, I had L.A. Punk Rocker, last book, Punk Rocker, and then I, I finally published my photographs, which have been sitting with me, no matter how many times I've moved, these photos have been sitting with me in a drawer, so that's not like I took good care of them or kept the... They um, weren't in a book or anything no, organized? No, they weren't organized. Well, are they now that you've put this together, like kind of for yourself? Well, for me, I feel good about it, but um, I don't like the printing, and I do plan to do something about that. But you don't like it's the printing hard. of this book? No, it's, it's printed terrible. I did it with Creative Space, and it, I told them it looks more like um, you know, more like a printing, you know, I'm just not happy with the way it is, but we'll see what I'll end up doing with it. And I do hope to do something further. I just didn't want to be like um, Slash Magazine and charge $60. You know, this is 300 pages. So, you know, and there's something punk about it not being perfect, well, you know. Well, that, that's true enough. No, so uh, just to recap, the uh, 
the series of three books. Was that the Bow in Brooklyn series? That is. Okay, so that's really where you started. I did. Okay, because I was trying to figure this all out on Amazon, and, you know, Amazon's a little bit more alphabetical than uh, chronological, so I was a little confused as to what, what actually came first. So, going back to that first series then, did you, you publish that as... Right off the bat, right? You were um, the publisher? It wasn't, you know, I actually went through a lot of fumbles. I'm now, I'm actually like, I use um, Blossoming Press, which is my name. I don't um, use, a, I'm an independent publisher. I publish my own books, but I started out with, I did um, Publish America, and they were scam artists. You know, they told you they'd publish your book and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I don't know about this. Te oh. Well, a lot, of, a lot of this is good because a lot of writers and people, people that read or listen to this channel, a lot of times are up and coming writers and they don't know all the pratfalls that many of us have already been slammed in the face with. So explain what this organization does. Okay, well, they did, they actually changed, they, they got sued so many times over, they ended up changing, they're a different name now, but you could find them. But what they did, basically, they started charging for different kinds of services. And they put out the book, they didn't care what it looked like, they didn't care if, you could, you could make a joke, you could write, you know, the same word 50 million times, and they probably would have published it because they were looking to make money. They would charge you for... Uh, they, they got me one gig at a coffee shop, and I think um, it was something ridiculous. They they published the book, and they were a scam artist, and I had to fight to get myself out of that because they made me sign a seven-year publishing contract, which is unheard of. Seven years. And did that also, uh, in the terms of the contract, did that did that own whatever you were coming up with in that period of time, or just the one book? Just the one book. Okay. So it was it was messed up, and I had to fight. I had to threaten them. I had to go back because you could never you couldn't talk to anybody there. So you had to leave emails, and you had to. It, it was a fight, but finally I, I threatened them enough times that they finally let me out because they wanted to charge me three hundred dollars to get out of the contract. They you know it, and they did they they made my original book. I think it was something like. Um, was it 27 or $18 for, you know, a nothing little book? And I said, I'll go, I think it was twenty seven ninety five. And I said, people, I'm going to be a laughing stock. No one's going to buy my book. And they're, they're going to think that I did that. So it was, it was, it was bad. So I ended up going out, um, out on my own and I went to Master Coda Publishing, which is more of an independent publisher. And I ended up Maybe I exceeded them. I ended up being able to do most of the stuff on my own, and I realized that I can do it on my own. So why share publishing rights? Why share the you know the royalties? Not that I'm making a fortune because I'm not. I mean, if you know most, um, uh, you, you're talking to the choir here. Yeah, as far as hello. I mean, we can spend hours and hours marketing our books, doing the best um, jobs that we can, editing and re-editing, and and still to make money is just. I mean. Um, there's, you know, people uh, make money, and you know who's making money? I know someone that writes gay erotica. That's the only person that I know that's making money right now. And maybe some people are, and I'm not hearing about it. But it's very hard to make money. But more for me, it's about it's a it's all about passion. I'm putting out what I feel that's important that I want to be out into the universe, and especially with the, the punk, I kind of found found myself again by putting these books out. So. It's worth it for me, and I am, you know, I'm putting out a lot of money. It's not like um, even in my selling books, I'm still I'm spending way more between the editors and the cover design and. Uh, so wait, you shopped that stuff out? I did, I did, and I do, and I've learned from trial and error, and lots of errors. And even though you can have a great editor, um, you're still going to find typos, and you have to have so many eyes yeah. on your stuff because you you miss it. 
Well, I found that in, in my in my case, which I've only got one book out. I'm just a little guy, but I liked your book. Uh, by the thank way. you, thank you. But I mean, when it came time when we were on the final edits and stuff, it's like I had to throw up my hands because I'd read it so many times. There would be a mistake, but I knew what it was supposed to be, and it would just slip right by me. I, I wouldn't even catch them after a certain point in time, just because you've seen it so much. Yeah. You, you can't. We're blind to our own stuff, yeah. and that's you know with with everybody, even the best writers I've I found. Think so. It happens, you know, because, yeah, you do. You just get blind to your own stuff. So, and you want it to be good because it's, I mean, I, I think this one, I think this one's actually, I'm trying to think if it's the, the newer one. I mean, I put, like, um, uh, the troubadour was on this where the, where the rainbow should have been or, you know, I got it messed up and I realized or I, I spent, um, spelled whiskey a go-go wrong, you know, things like that, but it's bad. So yeah. I had to go back in. And luckily, you know, the good thing about being an independent publisher, I can just do it myself. You know, I don't have to go back to the publishing company and say, hey, you know, I've got this problem here where you do it. And they say, sorry, you know, sorry, it's too well, much what, money. What do you do when that happens? So let's say, I mean, are you doing really small print runs to keep ahead of that kind of stuff? Um, well, I, I go to create a space. So basically it's all order and demand, you know, on demand. So I can make, you can just do it, upload a new file oh, I onto see. Amazon. And then, you know, so you can take out the typos. And I do have a very good person, uh, Marianne Brunel, who lives in Nebraska, who's really helped me a lot. So I've found some good people along the way as far as, um, um, you know, good little angels that have been willing to help me, like Mark Berry and um, K.S. Brooks. You know, I have certain people that um, she's with um, K.S. Brooks. She's with um, Indies Unlimited. And I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Even if you're not an independent publisher, they give you very good tips on, okay, I've written a book. Now what do I do? Or the latest thing in publishing, they will have articles on and they re they, they, they help um, all of us, you know, whatever the, the latest is. Like you want to learn about Snapchat, you go on there and they, they, you know, the latest thing that's going on with social media and with publishing. So you, you find people that help and you stop you know, uh, publishing, especially indie publishing, is a very me, me, me business. So you try to find people that they know a little bit of give and take, and you try to, you try to, you know, do for them so they do for you. But you don't want the takers that just take and never give in return. Right. So you know, I found people like that have who you know we're a network that we work together and we help each other. So, but. You know, it's, as you know, with your book and stuff, it's hard. And how, how do you get it seen? Especially if you're not, you know, if you're not famous. You know, I'm like dealing with now, of course, you know, L.A. Punk Rocker came out before, um, you know, Under the Big Black Sun. But how do I get seen when I'm no one? You know, they're the in crowd. I'm just, you know, some girl from the valley that right. knew, you know, that hung out with bad well, religion. I, but I think that's what's cool about the book is that the, uh, the John Doe, Tom DeSavia one, you know, has all the stars in it. It's like the musician's point of view. This is the fan's point of view. Exactly. Uh, and kind of in the middle of that is uh, another fellow that was on the show, Alan McDonald. Uh, have you read his book? It's called Punk Eulogies. No. I highly recommend it. He was uh, a writer, and he was worked for Slash, and he was just in the scene super early on, got messed up on all kinds of things. It's a really insightful book from, like, one guy's fan odyssey through the whole thing, and it's it's... It's a different viewpoint, too. And it's just funny, like, I mean, in a way, just how so many different people have books or stories that come out of the same, like, little world that was, you know, very, you know, 
very infused on itself, like just this small little thing, yet how many different stories and kind of wild tales that come out of it that are fun to read uh, that don't uh, always intersect, and sometimes they do a little bit. Like like in Under the Big Black Sun, they, yeah. they, they do intersect, you know, they somehow all those stories in a way connect, which is good, you know, really good. I mean, I really enjoyed that book considering, um, you know, what I'm doing, but I liked um, everybody's viewpoints and the fact that they were the in crowd, you know, they were behind the scenes. Like, I mean, where do you hear about, you know, being behind, you know, being at the whiskey, waiting to get on stage? Same thing with your book. I mean, you guys were the musicians. So, you know, we admire the musicians. And so it's cool to get that kind of view. You know, we're more of, um, you know, I'm a fangirl. You know, and I, I admire the musicians. Well, that's valid, too, though, because without the fans, the musicians don't have anything to do. You know, yeah. they're sitting at home practicing, which uh, isn't much of a book or anything. Um, so uh, just so, so I'm clear on this, when you're when you're publishing yourself, uh, obviously you're on Amazon. You got that squared away. Your books are Kindled and stuff. Are these in the stores as well? Do you have someone taking no. care of getting these in shops? Um, or does that even matter at this point in time? I don't think it matters so much. I mean, would I like it to be in the shop? Yes. But, um, like, if you wanted to go into Book Soup and have yours, you would have to do, if you're an independent publisher, you would have to put your, um, your books on consignment. I don't really need to do that. I feel if people want my books, they will look it up on Amazon. It's not that hard to get it. You can get a paperback. You can get it on Kindle. And it's pretty easy. Get it on Barnes & Noble, iTunes, you know, um, Apple. It's whatever. I mean, so it's There's not really hard to find. Yeah. The problem is, is, is getting your name out there, getting your story out there. What do you, you think know? is the most efficient way to do that if you're just kind of a one-person shop? Um, well, for me, is getting your name around, being on, believe it or not, Twitter. I've found so many fans between Twitter, Facebook. Um, I, I met a lot, you know, a lot of my stories, they have Billy Idol in it. So I joined um, some fan clubs and um, actually got very close. In fact, I'm so close that I'm so enmeshed with the whole thing that I'm going to Vegas I know, for the third time just to see Billy Idol. So I'm going back to being 16 again and being with all these girls that are, you know, well, I'm not doing the meet and greet for $300, but I am, you know, I am as enthusiastic. I would think he would, like, throw you a ticket since you're giving him so much free publicity. Hello, I know. He hasn't, but he did when the the first book, when L.A. Punk Rocker came out, he was cool because he said he really liked Mark Berry's story. It was about him, King Rocker, and he, uh, Mark Berry's the one from the U.K., and he did write on Twitter, he said, you know, you should have written my book or something like that, which was really nice because he was doing me a favor, you yeah, know, by, sure. by, you know, touting the book, and I really appreciated that. So ever since, I probably probably tweet for him and his book being a bestseller every day you know I mean every day I tweet for Billy Idol even though he doesn't need me but I feel you know I do a lot of things I don't need to and it makes me feel good but I do think it's it's helpful and I think a lot of people don't realize you know nowadays um, you don't make money so much you know musicians don't make money on on albums so much anymore you know your music is free you go on on you know you give it away so you got to find ways to make money so I, and I know that he's touring a lot but I do know Book sales are important too, so I tried to get the word out there, and um, and I liked his book very much. Although I did find some typos and some issues, but <laughs> I'm you're fanatical. pretty good at that. I know. Well, I became good at that just because of my own books and and the things that I would find. But I ended up, um, yeah, I got I got good, but I'm not good with my own. I'm better with other people's. Um, but would you ever want to be an editor at, at a publishing company or something? Not like that? at all. People um, have said that I should. I don't want the responsibility. I would be, I, you know, I'm so um, OCD. I would feel sick to my stomach if a book came out and there were, you know, some things were found. I mean, I'm hard enough on myself. I mean, 
you know, I'm always told, when, when can you let it go? Like, I'm still looking at the first books, you know, there's some issues that I'd like to fix. What, eventually, you have to let it go. You do. And that's, you know, I deal with that with records and stuff, like, oh, I should have fixed that, or, ooh, there's something that still bugs me. But you, especially nowadays when people have studios like this, you know, you just keep tinkering with it. At some point, you got to put it out. Yeah, it's you like art. It Sometimes if you overdo it, overdo it, overdo it, and you ruin it, lost, it, yeah. lost it, its essence. And same thing with writing, too. Yep. It's 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 hard, but um, yeah, I've learned. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes, but you know, I've learned. Do you do a lot of rewriting with your stuff? Not uh, so God, I don't do that much. Re but you know, just you know, with editing, you know, I'll write my story and then you let it simmer for a little bit. You read it out loud, you know, and then you come back to it after a while, and then you read it and you go, "Oh my God, that's shit! <laughs> what did I do?" And so you go back, and you know, and it, usually you can improve it a little bit. But then it gets to a point where okay, let it go, you know, let, no, let I it agree. go. And so the neat thing about, you know, doing these punk books, and um, there's going to be one more. Can and, you tell us what it is? Um, it's called um, Crime and um, Punkishment. <laughs> I got that name at Book Soup when K.S. Brooks was there, and I said, something to do with crime and something to do with punk, and she's a crime and punkishment. And I said, that's it. So How, I, do, how does crime figure into it? Uh, because I think there's always a crime element to punk. I mean, we were all underage drinking. We were driving. We were God knows what. Of course, underage sex. I mean, yeah, I have a good um, Iggy Pop story, by the way. But um, <laughs> talk about underage sex, although there was no sex. Could have been sex, but there was no sex. But, um, there, you know, there's so much cr crime in, you know, being a teenager. But being punks, you know, we did a lot of things, you know, uh, getting people to buy booze for us. You know, just the things that we did. So, and plus I have this guy, Joe Bruno, who does really good true crime. So I thought I've got to find a way to bring Bruno's stories into a, one of the books. So he actually wrote an amazing story about crime bosses in New York City. And these are real stories. But there's a little bit of punk element. And I've got um, Jack, um, Jack, um, under the big black sun TSL, well, he's also going to do a story which I'm Jack a little, Grisham. Yeah, I gotta have him on. Oh, he's amazing, and you know what? The coolest thing about him, I said, you know, I can't pay. You know, I'm just asking people. You know, I'll promote the shit out of you, but I can't pay. And he says, and all he said was, I just want to write. I thought that was the coolest thing that he could have said because you know, it's it's hard. How do you ask people to take their time? Um, you know, without giving any kind of pay. The cool thing is most of the punks want to do it because they like going back to that time period. But someone like him that, you know, he's he's more established, you know, but um, it's cool that he wants to do it. So he's writing a story. And I'm a little bit worried because, um, you know, we don't know where he's going to go with his story. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm letting him do whatever he wants to yeah. do. And I, I think it should. And, you know, the good thing about punk is, punk so he can write whatever yeah. he wants i mean it's that's kind of the idea of it at least in terms of what it was in terms of music and society i guess it was like we're we like this rock and roll thing but we're tossing out the rule book we don't want to we don't want to do it by the by numbers anymore we want to do it our way you know and that's always been the the whole thing about it i think is just because uh, i don't really consider myself a punk rocker i was just a musician but i've been in a lot of punk bands and i love the music and i think that's what i like about it is that it's like uh you know back to the roots of let's just let's just jam man let's just get in front of people and have a good time and um that lost its that's it goes back and forth you know people it, there's always a retooling every few years we're like okay things have gotten a little too stupid let's Let's cut back and get back to the basics. And it always ping-pongs back and forth like that through time. Was, I was listening to one of your interviews, and what was it you were talking about, seeing the Dead Boys with Steve Bader's um, 
hanging himself or trying to hang himself because I remember that. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was Chris. I think. Oh, was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, that was, I mean, those were good times because sure. you know what? It wasn't so. It wasn't something that he did every day. Although he was doing it more and more in his performances, but this was the real deal. This was happening. You know, this was the first time that we were seeing stuff like that. You know, and it was just it was it felt authentic. It was real. It was raw. Yeah, and absolutely. Plus, you're young, and you know, for someone like me, you know, I'm 15, 16. I'm getting away with murder, just being out as it is in Hollywood. I'm a Valley girl, and you know, pushing it every um, chance I got because you know, I'm 15. I'm not driving. I have Susie and her red dots, and driving us over the hill to see, you know, Rodney on the Rock play Tuesday night, spinning his music. Was and this one that was still the uh, Rodney's English Disco, or was that it gone? Was star- no, he that was gone already. I, I I don't even know from that, although I've read about. So you're it. in the 80s at this I'm point. I'm more in the early 80s late okay. 70s you know 79 okay. and 80 because you know um yeah probably around 80 and so it was starwood tuesday nights sure. he, would, he would spin records and i could only stay out to like nine i mean and tuesday nights because it was a school night so but we would still have to show face and so we'd have to make sure that we saw everybody you know and then i would have to head back because so I how parents. are you getting around mom and dad weren't bringing you down to hollywood no uh, although my mom would often show up she had a way of showing up where she, I'd be backstage at the whiskey and I'd hear, uh, Randa, your mom's here. And I'd say, oh, shit. And I knew it was her. And she'd show up in her, her pajamas. Her, no way. Yeah, she Come would, on. I, I swear to you, it was her nightie. And then she had a coat over it. You could still see oh, the nightgown. Oh, my God. And her babushka, she'd call it, you know, on her head. Yeah, yeah. And they'd say, because then they all knew, because she'd shown up before, your mom's here. And I'd say, oh, don't, please don't tell her I'm here, you know. And sometimes, uh, you know, I would see her and she would show up. She just wanted to know that I was there, that I was safe, and then she'd go home and let me stay. Wow. That, yeah. So wait, how, how much of a, I'm trying to <laughs> put in my mind how much commitment this was. Where were you guys coming in from the valley? Um, I was in uh, North Hollywood. Okay, North Hollywood. If you just said Tarzana or something, I would have gone, yeah. wow, your mom's hardcore. Yeah. I guess yeah. North Hollywood. Uh, that was still big. pretty hardcore, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So how, uh, how did punk come about for you? How did you get interested in it? How did you find out about it? Um, you know what? Everybody's asking me that question, and I'm not 100% sure. The only thing that I'm closest to, my girlfriend Faith had a... Um, an exchange student living with her, and I think she liked Oingle Boingle or something. Okay. I don't know. It's really sad. I hate that's not how I got into it, but somehow, all I know is I think I was either 15 or 16. We saw this um, Talking Heads at the Starwood Ballroom, and after that, I mean, it opened up a whole new world for me. And we started, you know, taking the bus to go into Hollywood because you know we were Valley girls. We didn't have cars, so we took the bus and we go all the record stores and we acted like we were, you know, old ladies, you know, and, and going to. I was thinking when I was driving here into Hollywood, I'm thinking, you know, some of the hotels we'd hang out at the Tropicana, the Dead Boys, and you know, we found ways. Whatever we did, we found ways to uh, meet people, make our way in, and you know. Know, get involved in the scene and we weren't like I said we weren't the in people we weren't you know you know we weren't groupies or anything but we liked we loved the music and we loved the bands and so you know we we um, take the bus to um, uh, San Francisco and see the damned and follow them around town and you know we did a lot of th- and I have to, I'd have to make up stories to my mom because of course she was very strict believe it or not she was strict and I just got away with stuff she'd have to hide things from my dad and I'd have to say I'm staying at a friend's and I'd manipulate the situation you know until her hair turned 100% gray did you stick with uh, you know that kind of style lifestyle after you were like 
it wasn't such a hassle like when you were 16 and getting into 18 and on uh, still what? still at 18 i think by 19 you know 19 i think by 19 i was out already because what had happened it was fun until it wasn't fun anymore around 19 i started to see close friends that started shooting up you know um yeah they all got addicted to drugs angel now, do you dust. think punk has something to do with people getting addicted to drugs um i think it because was, it comes up a lot in mm, these stories in, i think in these it books. was the freedom the excess we're young we're free and we'll do whatever and that was the next best thing that wasn't what was happening and so people were just the nothing better to do and so maybe it was depression you know i mean we were all i think outcasts to one extent or another i mean i was i'd go to school and i'd be spit on and laughed at did you have a whole punk image I thing did. going i spiked my hair and um you know we wore straight legs and they didn't make it so i had to get them done you know tailored to make them straight or i do um you know the vintage stores and i definitely stood out and i wasn't trying to stand out because i wanted attention I stood out because I liked the look. I thought it was cool to look different and to, it was creative and artistic and pretty. To me, to me, it was pretty. People thought I was trying to make myself ugly, but I thought it was pretty. And I, I liked, um, you know, of course we admired, you know, um, UK, you know, everything in Britain was cooler than here. So we wanted to be English. Who was your, who was your main person you were trying to stylize yourself um, after, if there well, was one? Um, I don't know, style I mean, we love the Damned and the Clash and things like that. But, you know, of course, you want to be Deborah Harry. Um, you want to be, well, she's in New York, right? Um, you know, you just want, you, you like the whole, that whole vibe, that whole scene, you know, to be in England um, during that time period just looked much cooler than in L.A. It's funny, uh, the book right there, The Clash, uh, <laughs> great, I mean, it's the story of The Clash, but the, the photos in it are just unbelievable. And... <clears throat> whatever people might think of punk rock, at least in terms of those guys, uh, total styled, fashion conscious. You know, they may have downplayed that, but no. I mean, they definitely consciously made a big effort to have a, have a look. Yeah. Uh, just as much as any glam band or glitter band or anything. I mean, I definitely. It. It, you can just tell when you look at them, like, this isn't an accident. They just didn't show up like, oh, you look cool too. You know, somebody was... Somebody was working it out for him. Probably just the guys in the band themselves, but still, they definitely had a consciousness for that. You know, and Mick Jones was a huge Mott the Hoople fan, so it all kind of ties back. And all those guys in the Sex Pistols, their roots were the faces. No, they right, loved Rod Stewart and all McLaren that stuff. Too? That wasn't he right, and he had a clothes store, so that's, you know, you can't get too much easier than that. But, you know, and there were guys in bands like Motorcycle Boy here in town where their manager ran a big you know, rock and roll clothing store. So, of course, Motorcycle Boy was the best-looking rock band in L.A. for a while, just because how, how can you mess that up, you know? If your manager got, got the goods, you're going to take advantage of that. Um, okay, so then, like, you're saying, like, I'm, if I'm following the timeline around when it, hmm. when it wasn't fun for you anymore, would that have been, like, around 85 or something? Not even that late. I think it was around 82. Oh. Um, 64, um, 80, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 82, 83. 82, 83. Around 83. And, well, I had my close friends that were either dying, you know, overdoses, or um, they were, you know, shooting up... Um, what were they shooting up? Meth? Is that what they were shooting up? Who knows? I don't know. Meth, heroin, I don't know. Whatever you can grind. Whatever up. they were shooting up, and it just it got to be where and I wasn't worried about getting into it. Although you know, you know, you're young, you take pills and blah blah blah. I never got you know, I never had a problem. I don't have an addictive personality, mm-hmm. and so it was never an issue for me. I, I think I had too much self control. But when I saw this happening, I thought, you know what, this is depressing. And what did you get into after that? 
Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, God. I mean, a mixture. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I was always a punk and I still listen to some of the music, but I just, uh, I didn't really like, I didn't identify with any one thing. You know what I mean? I like. I liked um, Three Doors Down and Creed, and so it was a whole mix. But what did you get music. into for like a lifestyle? I mean, what what was like the next thing for you? You go to school or something, or well, uh, I, get a cool job, or um, how did you how did you rejoin normal society? I guess is the um, question. I'm trying to think. How did I join? Well, you know, I went I went to Cal Arts Photography, realized that I'm not going to be a photographer. I got involved trying to be an actress for a period of time. You know, I I kind of floated around into um, a lot of different things. I become a personal trainer, and that's that ah. was really yeah. You know, I I got very involved around um, 19 in. Um, physical fitness and oh. so so then I became a personal trainer and I like it because I got to go into people's homes and basically um you know find out their whole life story which I do like you know I like details and so that was good and I did like to be able to help especially women that were going through um you know body changes and menopause and stuff and you know I always felt I liked being around older people and um so it was a good fit and I really enjoyed it. I did it for a lot of years and then, um, then I, I, well, I got married, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, and that's probably why I started writing this life story, because I really was trying, I was, you know, I didn't really have definition to my life, I really didn't know what I was going to do, and that's when I got into the personal training, and then, you know, years later, I got really sick, so I oh. dealt with the chronic illness, and so that, that threw me for a loop. And maybe that's why I appreciate this time period, this punk rock time period, because I was young, innocent, free, Healthy. and I didn't have health. Yeah, and that's what I relate to. And that, and then I was saying this when I booked Soup, the big thing about the Billy Idol, and I know it's it could be kind of teeny bop, you know, with um, uh, you know hanging out with the girls and you know the pictures twenty four seven with the pictures of him and there. And, but what I do like, especially seeing him live, I'm back to that girl that I once was when I wasn't afflicted. Um, my, even though life was hard because you're young and you've got troubles, you don't know what you're going to do with your life and you've got parents telling you what to do, there was a freedom too because it was about the music and the music was life-changing. And the music, especially since I'm not a musician, I, don't, I can't carry a tune, I can't play an instrument, although my mom invested plenty of money between the guitar and the this and the that. But, you know, she really did. She really tried to, you know, give me the best life possible, but it, I, I never stuck with any one thing. But... Going to the mu going back to the music and uh, it made me feel like that young, healthy person. And um, you know, you can't take anything like anything like that for granted because you don't know. I mean, I was I was personal training. It was a Thursday, um, and from one day, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't pee on um, Thursday night. By Sunday, I was paralyzed, and I was an active person, so you can imagine. So. I don't want what that. was that? Um, it's a disease called, tran they didn't really know for a long time, but it's transverse myelitis, which is the attack of the spinal cord, which is related to MS. It's an autoimmune disease. But they don't know why it happens. I mean, some people get it from getting an injection, a, a flu shot. They don't know. They really don't know. And in my case, um, I went through a lot of stress. My dad was dying, and my dad's girlfriend was suing us. So there was a lot of, I mean, this is totally off subject, but so there was a lot of stress in my life during that time period. And I do believe stress is what kills us. You know, the negativity, it's not good for any of us. And I know we could say, okay, don't be stressed. I would oh. say that's true. I mean, yeah. it's not good. No. And I, I, I just had so much sadness in my life. And finally, my body couldn't take it anymore. Roller girl. <laughs> I was so excited I to meet Roller Girl. Say hi after uh, that, hearing that. Oh, he looks so nice. 
my uh, cousin has a MS. Oh, she does. Well, yeah. that's not fun. So, yeah, we have another friend She came out and we took her to the um, the races in Pomona. Drag races. Oh, drag cool. races. Yeah. Wow. We love yeah. the drag races. Very cool. I like the loudness of it. The loudness of it? <laughs> oh, you're used to it. Oh yeah, God. I'm pretty deaf, so well, something that's say, loud. Can you hear anything? I actually was uh, fairly uh, sick recently with the flu and collapsed, and I was like, I, in a way that, like, I hit my eye and my nose, that blood shot out of it, and I'm, like, screaming for Bruce like, to come Aww, save me, baby. and he's just like... Yeah, no, he doesn't hear me. It's <laughs> fine. But but see, but you're not used to being sick at all, too. No, so, yeah. no, I was fine. But yeah, it was one of those things. It's like, I really should carry around a cowbell or like a life alert or something. Because, yeah, you might need life alert yeah, with this, this mean, guy around. He is so. If you've heard the bands he's played in, he's yeah, he's. he's very hearing impaired. I mean, I'm even in a soul band that is known as the loudest soul band there can be, and I, I don't know how it happens. I I've just always been in bands that. The word loud is attached to it. I don't know what it is. Well, you like it, though. I, I like it loud. I like it fast. Yeah, and to... I'm, I'm a huge fan of metal. So, um, like, when I'm ready to go in the pit at a Napalm Death show, <laughs> my husband is like, all right. Is that, is that I'll, how I'll you go guys back met? to the bar. No, we met at Triple uh, X Records. Uh, I was actually, his intern. Aww. Actually, she was covering Aww. for me while I was on the road that that book is about. So the first day back in the office, okay, uh, I met no, her. No, Allison was covering for you. Well, yeah, I but you was, were working I was with Allison's her. Allison's assistant. Allison, by the way, the most amazing woman in the world, and I was interning for her as doing PR for Triple X Records. Right. And then suddenly Bruce comes in the office, and I was just like, "Who's this grumpy guy?" Yeah, I was. I was <laughs> like, it was the first the day back. Was woman tough. in the world, and I was just like, "Who's uh -oh. married to Mark Mothersbaugh now?" Yeah, yeah. In the. Uh, from Devo. And oh. she did Derby too. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, she did Derby too. It's funny because she contacted me asking me if she could use, my number's 23. And uh, she's like, can I use your number? And I'm like, you know what? Even though I stopped skating roller derby and I'm announcing, I'm not giving up my number at this point. And so um, I was like, God, I kind of, we started talking. I was like, turned out, I was like, wait, I was your intern at Triple X Records. And it's because of you that I actually stayed there long enough for Bruce to come back, and then I actually met my husband. So Allison Motherbird, she's the one who, like, kind of, in a way, if it wasn't for her, I would have never married Bruce Duck. Is All that, right, is Allison. That, is that a thank you? Allison, or is that I a... got your number now, and it ain't 23, baby. <laughs> it ain't 23. So it wasn't love at first sight, though. No, he scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Sometimes these things have to have to brew. No, up. he's perfect. Uh, speaking of twenty three, though, um, we did this thing. You're talking about uh, physical fitness. Yes. And um, I'm talking about my number twenty three. We actually did this thing at the uh, roller derby last night. Um, we have this guy named Cowboy, who does. Um, he's a volunteer for the Derby Dolls. Uh, we have what we call the Derby Dolls Army, and it's just people who do volunteer in different ways. Whether it's like volunteering at the parking lot, or you know, or whatever. And uh, he's been doing this thing, 22 push-ups every day for um, the fact that uh, the, uh, veterans, um, there's 22 of them that die every day from suicide. That's Aww. the estimate. So while you guys talk, I'm going to do 22 push-ups for him. All right. Very good. It's a, it's Keep a talking. Good, it's a good oh, thing good for girl. everyone. I'm doing this for you. No, Come don't on. do them right here. Oh, she's got to do, right do them right here. Oh, my God. I love it. I'm like, 
Well, uh, one, one other question I had. <laughs> she's going to do it. You, you've got to ignore she, her. Her form's pretty she good, did. though. I was going to say, put your butt down, but you know what? She's doing good. All right. You're, you're a trainer. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah, still you, do that? Are you no. St- no. you retired from no, that? No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still work out, but no, no, no. And I, you know what? Seriously, the the amount of time that I spend marketing my books and doing what I well, do. Well, you're a publisher. That's a yeah. job. Well, I do that, but I'm not publishing anybody other I'm doing my own books, but I also, I do help a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I, I hardly have any time. I hardly have time to say hello and goodbye. But you do publish other people because your books are filled with stuff written by guests, I yeah. guess. I mean, what... Is that like a curation? Is that how you would term that? Um, well, it's an anthology, and I basically they all get very Thank nice. You. I, I will get off your hair now. They, <laughs> no, you can stay in our hair. They have um, no. They get they get credit, and I try to promote whatever else they're doing. But um, you know, and as long as I have them sign a waiver, because I don't want to be sued later on for you know using their stuff. You know, and it's a but fun. you're you're reaching out to them because you feel that they have something to contribute to what the overall story is that you're putting together. Yeah, yeah like people say, oh yeah, this guy was in the scene and blah blah blah, and I think he'd really like it. And so I've met a lot of people, and I've met a lot of people. Like for instance, this girl, um, she 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 um, wrote to me and said, oh yeah, I'm on your cover. I go really, and so. So now I think she might be writing um, a story for the next book. So it's it's bizarre because I didn't know, you know, everybody I took a picture of, I can't remember all of them. I mean, no, you know, we're just going people back. around. Yeah, yeah, and some I knew, some I, were really, I was really close with, and some, you know, I just liked the way they looked. Sure. Uh, well, speaking of working with other people, I was looking through uh, the list of your stuff and the book Tie the Bull, that's an actual story, but it took, it. but two people wrote it. Yeah, um, I don't understand how okay, that works. Okay, that well, that one was a little bit. Um, I was writing a book. I wanted to. My boyfriend's grandson was having a lot of problems with bullies in school, and his right. parents had gone for through a divorce. So I really wanted to put a story out there that he actually wanted to share because he was telling me these stories. So you know, I'm I'm a fiction. I'm not a fiction writer. I write from reality. I write from life. So I went to um, I went to um, Kim and I said. Um, would you be able to fictionalize the story? You know, I want to keep certain elements, but I also want it, you know, I don't want it to be such a downer. We don't have a happy ending. Let's try to find some kind of ending that would have, um, you know, some kind, you know, let's get somewhere. An uplift. And it does. It really does. So, um, you know, we published it together, although I published it under my name. But, um, you know, she got, uh, Katie Emerson got, um, you know, she gets credit and she gets to have it on her Amazon page, which looks good for her, too, because she has... um, was it Digitus 33? She's got that. It's been so long since I've thought about it. So, um, and it's a short story. And, I, you know, it's nice because, you know, I want to do, Blossoming Press is really about coming of age. And, you know, all my stories have to do somehow with coming of age, whether it's these or, you know, my trilogy. So that was important to me. And it, it is, you know, with kids that are going through hard times being bullied because I was bullied. So I can relate to that. Okay. Uh, another one that, I guess pops up and it's your it's your handle on Twitter, so it must be important to you. Is is Homewrecker? What's that one about? Well, the original book, the one that I did with Publish America, I called it Homewrecker. I loved the name because I thought it was cool. I thought it would get people's attention. The problem was, and that's what I published it with um, that that very first time with the I first see. Book. So this is the first. Yeah, it's sha- it's Brooklyn really book. shattered reality. Uh, okay, yeah. but I and that. I did it. That but you know what the problem is when I finally got rid of the name and I I kind of liked it because I liked that it was a little bit edgy and it yeah, might yeah, get people kind of pissed off, you know. And I kind of liked that until I had some people saying I would not share a book 
called homewrecker. You know, I would not, I do not believe in homewreckers. And I thought, you know what, this is, you know, it's, it was really a hard book to sell. That was my first book out. And, you know, we're talking about infidelity. We're talking, it's not the normal divorce book because I'm not making myself sm I'm smelling like a rose. And it was a very hard sell because... I'm offending a lot of people and I'm you know I'm just telling you know the uh, adulteresses side of the story well and reality is like that sometimes yeah yeah, you know. yeah. and so uh, yeah and so I decided okay, I'm gonna change the names and I, I, I didn't want to start out with a negative it's hard enough you know it's hard enough and so that's why I changed it to shattered reality I'm not sure that I love that that title but you know but I, I at least it's not as offensive homewrecker is a good name that's a, be a good name for an all-girl punk band I think so too. I, like <laughs> I think so too. All right. I we're back. always we're always giving people material here. Yeah, right? I tell you, you're good. You're a songwriter. Yeah, I'm trying to do that. Uh, well, I, if I, have I missed anything in uh, in the whole big picture here? I don't think you have. All right. um, I'm, I appreciate you seeing me. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to meet you. I enjoyed reading your book, and I like that you have um, appreciation for music, all kinds of music, and. Um, I'm glad to be here. So yeah, thank well, you. Yeah, we're glad to have you over. It's uh, it's sort of funny because the rare bird people when they uh, got me to do this was like, oh, you know, all these cool people, you can really do some great things. But as it's rolled on, it's not. We haven't done that many of them. This is the ninth one. Uh, there's been people I didn't know that just through the channels of doing this have popped up and go, oh, we need to have so and so on. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do it. So it's not just me having my pals over and shooting the shooting the crap for an hour to kill time. It's uh, it's been turned into a thing where I'm really meeting a lot of cool people and I dig it. Oh, thank you. I can tell. All right. I can tell. Thank All right. You. Well, we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for listening to the Tone Duff Sessions, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Feature of Rare Bird Radio. Next up, David Kendrick of Devo and Sparks, and James Fernley of the Pogues. <laughs>